plastic bags that you have, that's yeah. in line, and you slip one of those so it forms kind of a sheet. You, you haul the body out onto the floorboards, put it on the sheet, and then cut it out. The consultant would come round often in a white coat, and there was a, an invisible barrier between the patient and the doctor. I could just loop, loop it over and lay in bed at night thinking about this person, uh, the events and how it's going to happen, and it became a real, almost like a picture show. You know, I wanted to go ahead and produce it, direct it, and go through with it. Hello, Dave. You all right? I'm good, thanks, mate. How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. Uh, though I could be finer, but uh, I've only got one beer in the whole house. So. You're fucking kidding me. Yeah. Oh, my. If, I could, if we could sort of uh, transport, like in Star Trek, beer, I would transport beer to you, my friend. Because oh, I've got you. loads here. Have you? I've got loads, mate. Yeah. Right. Beer is my currency, my friend. I've always got beer on the go. Shit, I won't have too much though. In in solidarity to you, my friend. I'm drinking out of uh, an Iron Maiden Trooper glass, <laughs> which was uh, given to me by Gav at Christmas. Cause, really? Uh, not as a present. He got it as a present, but he uh, he said he's not really going to use it. And he, I'm a bigger Maiden fan than him, so their their pint, the Iron Maiden Trooper pint, is not a bad pint, to be fair. Yeah, it's all right. Yeah. Right, so tonight we were discussing, talking about uh, boring serial killers. Yeah, brilliant. I, I love the idea of this. Yeah. What a great now, concept. I suppose the British ones stand out, don't they? That well, they I just think, look boring. Well, I think maybe, ultimately, what they are is they're all boring. They're all quite boring. Yeah. It's the alter ego that's kind, if you, if you like. I don't even like using the word exciting because they're vicious killers but mm. <laughs> but it's there it, it's the mon the mundanity the mundanity of them yeah as people that in some ways creates this alter ego yeah i mean the one that sprung to, sprung to mind was uh to me was shipman because he just looks like a boring bastard doesn't he shippers uh, someone you'd see down the pub sat on their own Shippers is the prime example, isn't he, of uh, Mr. Corduroy from like the 1980s, isn't he? Yeah. You know, he's like, he's like pipe, pint of bitter, lives a very mundane and quite dull life, you know? Yeah. Married to Primrose. Yeah, yeah. I kind of thought that of um, uh, Fred Talbot when I yeah. used to see him in the, uh, when, I, when I used to see him in the Stamford Arms in Bowden which was his home of a boozer, uh, he was there. And that's how he was. He was like propping up the end of the bar, having a bit of a chat with the landlord, smoking his panatellas, quite a dull man, not someone who really wanted to engage people in conversation, complete opposite of this TV personality that he created. Mm -hmm. But in his private life, this very kind of like sort of standalone stoic kind of figure that was very different from how you saw him on TV. Yeah. And it's almost like the TV shipman was the one that got this syringe out. Yeah, I wonder if he had any hobbies. Is there any documented um, hobbies that he's had? I can imagine him enjoying a game of crown green bowling or maybe <laughs> yeah. a bit of fishing. You know, obviously he had killing, but, you know, that was sort of work-related, wasn't it? K killing was his absolute main goal. I think, though, he was a bit of a workaholic, wasn't he? Because he, I, I think the thing with shippers was that he, uh, as people like to call him, hey, shippers, hi there, pal. Um, the thing with shippers is that he, um, I think he was a bit of a workaholic because he loved it. He loved the power trip. I think that's the vibe you get from the documentaries that are out Only there. Only we had GPs like that now. Now exactly. you only get 10 minutes. Exactly. They work half a day. They don't. They're never about, are they? No. Yeah. The end of the phone, they don't they sound lackluster at the end of the phone. Oh yeah. You got chest pains. Oh yeah, don't worry about it. Take some paracetamol. They're still doing it on the phone, aren't they, a lot of the time. So they're just yeah. getting away with not having to see people. 
because it's easy to fob somebody off on the phone. It's harder to get them out of your office. Exactly. Shippers wouldn't have been like that. If shippers was around now, shippers would be around your house. They'd be doing home visits, yeah. Face mask off, straight yeah. in your living room, needle in hand. Yeah. Couldn't wait to stick the, the blue juice in your fucking arm. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> raring to go he would be he'd be raring to go would be shippers yes just, what's that you've got a bit of a cough I'm coming over <laughs> I'm coming straight over Mr Lawton straight over yeah, what do we need yeah if you can just uh, just have your will ready when I get there you know I might need to make yeah. just have a look at that before I treat you <laughs> some slight amendments on it yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just reminded, actually, that, that Shipman killed himself in January. Was it just after Fred West killed himself? Because yeah. I remember Fred West killed himself on, I think it was New Year's Day. Or was that? Did. No, I think that must did. have been well early, though. That must have been much earlier. I think Westy did, did himself in on New Year's Day, yeah. No, it was 95, yeah. So what, much earlier than Shipman. I don't know why I thought they were sort of close to each other. But I suppose it's around the Christmassy period. Or both in January, yeah. So, yeah, he hung himself, Shipman. Somehow he managed to get hold of a, a tie or something, didn't he? You know, very, very, uh, very dodgy, really. Yeah, do you think they just let him do it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, save uh, a bit of money. Yeah, very interestingly, you're absolutely right, because he was... Oh, my God, that's, in, that's, that's interesting. He was born on the 14th of January... And he died on the 13th of January. So it was a day before his birthday. How old would he have been? He would have been 58. Is that all? Yeah, that's all. I always thought he was in his 60s. No, he would have turned 62 years later. He's only 58. Yeah, 1946 to 2004. Yeah, so there you go. Look at that. Yeah. 58. So it was the day before his 59th birthday. No, his 58th birthday. He was 57. It was the day before his 58th birthday. Shippers. Shippers! What are you doing? <laughs> Did you know, Dave, that... Uh, I don't know if you ever watched... You, you don't strike me as the sort of person that will watch Gavin and Stacey. No. But did you know that the the the, boat, the two families are called the Wests and the Shipmans? Yeah, the Wests and the Shipmans, yeah. That was like, one thing that I thought was really quite funny about. Yeah, yeah. One of the few things about it that I thought was quite amusing. Yeah. What, you didn't like James Corden in that, Dave? No. Yeah, funny enough. <laughs> funny enough, I'm not a massive James Corden fan. And his meteoric success. Yeah, fucking, how the fuck did that happen? Fucking horrible little fat cunt. <laughs> Honestly, and his carpool karaoke and he's groveling at celebrities. Yeah, and the Queen. Oh, don't even get me started, Lee. <laughs> well, you know what? The first time I saw James Corden, he was in this absolutely brilliant series, right, called Boys Unlimited. And it was like a spoof of a boy band. Did you never see it? It was really funny. It was because, like, James Corden played, played the Gary Barlow character. As he would have dreamed of. <laughs> what was it called again, pal? Uh, Boys Unlimited. Let's have a look. Boys. <laughs> it's quite funny. Unlimited. The problem I have with Corden, though, he loves all that shit. So even when it's a spoof, he still kind of loves. I can say <laughs> that does look quite funny. I think then he was he was sort of uh, he wasn't stellar or anything like he like he no. Uh, obviously, the, the bigger he got, the more annoying he got. In, in every in every sense, the more he ballooned into this fucking barrel of annoyance, right, and <laughs> arrogance. What an amazing line! The, the more <laughs> barrel of annoyance. <laughs> he just, he really is a barrel of annoyance, and and you know, I just think, come on, he shouldn't be hosting. A Letterman type show in America, a Johnny Carson type fucking show. For God's sake, well, should be someone to love him. That should be have a little bit more now, now and sophistication than James Gordon. No offense to Gordon, you know, 
because he's always been a bit of an like, over enthusiastic ligger to me, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. a bit of a follower. If like the likes of a Coogan or a Bryden got a job like that in America, or yeah. um, do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, that would make sense. It would make more sense, wouldn't it? I never understood this this Craig Ferguson shit in America. Well, I was going to mention him because he's another one that he's massive. Big he's in the America. He's been the... doing it for years, Lee. Yeah, he's been yeah. doing it there for years in America, hasn't he? He was you know? someone I never really warmed to. He was just like doing some like sort of like Scottish sketch shows. With Paul you know, Sawyer, like Storybridge, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's very odd, really, how these people have suddenly. Transform themselves in America, so they are. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're a bit sort of in awe of Brits, aren't they? For some reason. I think it's people who've got like the brash, barefaced confidence just to go for it. I think Corden's one of them, and Craig Thurston's another. A lot of British stars are li- have a little bit more of a kind of a little bit of almost embarrassed at their ability, or about it's you know just a little bit of that that Britishness. Yeah. That stops them from being, you know. But why, you know, in, in that case, though, why hasn't Gervais done it? I mean, Gervais is perhaps he's a little bit cleverer in a way. He does mm. his own thing. I think for someone like Gervais, he'd probably find it a bit dull. And a bit, well, that's probably a bit part sort of, of uh, you know, you have to commit to like yeah. a couple of years at least, don't he you? He kind of likes doing his own doing thing. Doing it every night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't think he wants to sort of like, yeah, no, actually, Gervais is a bad example because Gervais does not want to rim the latest. And and when I say rim, I mean it in the literal pornographic sense of rimming somebody's art. You know, uh, you have to be a bit of a sycophant, don't you? And I don't think Gervais is that at all. To be yeah. fair, yeah. you know, even though you know it, some of his stuff is hit and miss. Even like Afterlife, everyone brags about how. But, oh, Afterlife is amazing, and it is in parts brilliant, but it's still a little bit to me. There's uh, bits of it that don't quite work and everything. It's not the greatest thing since sliced bread. No, you know I agree, Dave. I mean, I saw. I've only watched the first season, and I've got to say, I've not got a huge amount of enthusiasm for watching the the, the second or the now the third. I mean, I've heard it's really good, but. To me, the first one was, it was just Gervais getting things off his chest, really, wasn't it? Yeah, this is what he's good at. He does this kind of getting things off his chest. The whole concept of the idea of someone uh, who's suicidal with loss is and being able to turn that into a comedy is brilliant, in a way. It's a brilliant mm. idea. It's genius, in a way. But, but he goes down sort of Gervais rabbit holes, I think, and... You know, this comedy gold in there, you know, Paul Kay, the the foul mouthed psychotherapist is kind of brilliant in it, in a way. A lot of it is Gervais doing what he does, he, what he knows to do, you know, in comedy, I think. Yeah, it's not quite. But the sycophants all like, oh, Gervais, oh, afterlife, Ricky Gervais, another triumph. It's his partner who's the triumph to me. It's Steve Merchant. Yeah. And it always has been for a long time. And pushing ourselves right back onto mundane killers. What he did recently with those four lives. Did you see it? Uh, No, I want to. I mean, I want to watch Stephen Port. I was fascinated when I found out that he was going to play Stephen Port. Oh, mate. Because I knew he'd do a great job. It's a brilliant performance by him. Brilliant. I, I swear to you. It is such a fantastic kind of example of someone who is a sheer sociopath and people don't quite understand his kind of autistic sociopathic ways because he's obsessed with like toys. And... Is he? Like proper toys? not so... Oh, yeah. He, he, he had this thing about buying trucks, you know, like toy trucks and bin mm-hmm. trucks like a little kid would do. But you can see he's somehow separate from real life. Right. I don't know a lot about Stephen Port at all. I don't, you know, know what he did for a living, if he worked or what his personality was like. 
just think there's just there's just that one picture of him, isn't there, that you always see where he's a bit sort of bog eyed and yeah, yeah. Uh, looks slightly mad. I noticed Merchant was wearing hair. Had hair as him. Did he wear a wig or something? Well, he did because the yeah. the, the, the thing is, is that um, Stephen Paul often wore a wig, especially when he was trying to trying to uh, get his twinks, as he would call them, mm. the little sort of young-looking uh, teenage or twenty-year-old boys. He liked the young-looking twenty-year-olds, didn't he? Eighteen yeah. to twenty-year-olds, and. Um, he would often like pose in a certain way to make himself look good or better. But the reality was when he was in court, he got rid of his wig. He he took that off and he was a bald guy, you know, Mm. and uh, quite a pathetic kind of lonely character. He was kind of like totally insular, you know, that kind of insular thing that like most sociopaths are. I think that's kind of, and serial killers are they're kind of insular aren't they mm-hmm. and you can see a job? again yeah he had a job he, he was a functioning guy with his own flat and money what Very, was his job dennis nils i think it was a was he a chef or something he worked was he a cook at a um bus depot or something ah, it's a right. strange again like like someone like dennis nilson again get another incredibly dull person exactly yeah i was thinking of him when we were talking about this incredibly dully yeah you know that's probably why they didn't want to stay because he was boring yeah yeah he was just going on about the production on tales from topographical <laughs> <laughs> that was definitely the case with well i don't know about i think the thing with what they said with port is is that he was he was kind of nasty he wasn't very nice at all when he you know he, he had uh he invited someone to come and be stay with him on his sofa that was one of the young people that he ended up killing this guy said to this this friend of ports this associate of ports saying he's not he's weird with me when i'm when i'm when i'm on my own with him he's weird he's not he's not the same with me he's a bit full-on with me you know Mm. but there is this kind of similarity i think with the nielsen thing they're very almost independent and it's all about the, it's a, it's a narcissism, isn't it? There's a massive kind of narcissism in their sociopathic tendencies. They, it's all about what they want all the time, yeah. you know. So in Nielsen's case, it was like he just wanted them to be around, so he could. He probably baffled on to them about fucking um, the first the, the uh, sheer heart attack by Queen or. <laughs> Yeah, like you say, yes, it's topographic oceans and yeah. what, how great and complex the music was on those. And Jethro Tull's thick as a brick or something. Uh, yeah, for hours on end when they were da- when there were corpses in the corner of the room. <laughs> well, he put he put some record on, didn't he? And then strangled. He put this record yeah. on and gave the guy the headphones and then strangled him while saying, "Let me listen to it." Yeah, it was something like Topographic Ocean by by Yes, wasn't it? Yeah. It was something like that. It was like, yeah, mad. Yeah, and he also worked for the DWP. So again, <laughs> you know. And I read an interview with his his former manager there, and his former manager said, yeah, he was a, he was a right pain in the arse, and he was very outspoken, very opinionated. He was quite overbearing, and that's why they wouldn't really let him near job seekers. You know, because it just end up rubbing them up, up the wrong, the wrong way. way. So he sort of uh, kept in the back office. But the guy sort of admitted, he said, well, you used to have quite interesting chats. And I, I did like him to a certain extent. And uh, he seemed, uh, you know, all right. I think that's the, the undercover sort of behaviour of these people. They seem all right. They seem acceptable. Watching the... Um, the Peter Moore documentary on BBC Wales on Monday night, I don't think you'd have got it because I think no. it was BBC Wales. And uh, again, everybody who spoke anecdotally about what Peter Moore was like as a person was, oh, he was unassuming. He would do anything for you. When they had the hardware store, 
He would bring the color gas round to the house. He would never charge you for delivery. He would always call you by your surname. Hello, Mr. Johnson. How are you, Mrs. Perkins? He was unassuming, but he used this alter ego. And I think Moore's a great... In, a well, great... He's probably one of the lesser known serial killers, isn't he? I mean, people wouldn't necessarily know of him. And it's fa- he's fairly recent, isn't he, when he got caught? Was it about 2004? I think it's earlier than that. I think it's in the, it's in the 90s, isn't it? When it all it all took place in the 90s. Did it? I think right. he's been in prison for a long time. Yeah, I think it's 96. You might be thinking of the fact that he went to the high court, didn't he, to try and say that his um, convictions yeah. were were. Uh, <clears throat> hey, you know what, Dave? I'm reading here. He was a friend of Harold Shipman. Yes, that's what. That's it. That's the fucking connection. Two boring bastards. Moore and Shipman were mates before yeah. Shipman killed himself. Yeah. yeah. No, he went to court. I'm sure he went to court in '96, Lee, because the crimes took place between September and December 1995, and he confessed to them once they once they got onto because they got onto him fairly quickly. You know, it wasn't. Um, uh, I'll tell you now. Yeah, you're right. It was 96, Dave. Yeah. Yeah. And it um, confessed to them very quickly once they went to see him. But but so he should, too, because he, he had loads of evidence in his house. How did they catch him? Even watching that documentary the night, it's kind of vague. I think what took place was there were certain things. There were certain bits of, bits of evidence that uh, corresponded with him. Um he he wasn't particularly careful in his approach. You know, it was almost like he... I don't think he wanted to get himself caught. I think I just think he just didn't think he was going to get caught at all. And uh, he, he was quite well known within the sort of gay community of being like a sadist. Was he? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was a pure... He was like a Nazi sadomasochist. But in his day-to-day job... He presented himself as like the the nicest guy you could ever wish to meet. Just yeah, chilled he, he out. He ran cinemas, didn't he? Yeah, he had he had four or five cinemas. <laughs> one, one of course was in Denby, just down the road from where I live. Then he he had one in because he lived uh, he lived in uh, Kimmel Bay, just the other side of Rill, and uh, he had um, cinemas in Hollyhead, Kimmel Bay, Denby. Uh, and I think he had one in Anglesey because two of his killings were on Anglesey. Yeah. One in Clandegla and one a bit further down. Uh, and they're brutal. They're miserable. The, the, the worst one of all is the, is the security guard guy, I think, because this guy was doing nothing other than just doing his job as a security guard. And Moore had kind of clocked what he was doing. And decided to go there one night, just knock on the caravan door, because he was part of this caravan on this building site. And as soon as the guy opened the door, he started stabbing him to death. Right. So the guy he didn't know the guy. There was no connection. There was no homosexual sort of gay behaviour. The guy he killed first, he, he kind of had met him before. And there was some kind of connection, sort of connection on the gay scene. As, as they were with, I think, with the other two killings. But this one, this, this one with the security guard, was just brutal. It's just because he just got his he just got his rocks off on being brutal. Yeah. Being a brutal killer. He said he, um, he had an alter ego, which he nicknamed Jason after the killer in Friday the 13th. Well, yeah. Well, what he tried to do, you see, is with soon after confessing to these crimes, he said it wasn't me that did it. It was Jason that did it. I was just his accomplice. It's Jason. And they quickly, the police quickly realised, hang on a minute, you're like into films and you're yeah. always playing the Friday the 13th films. You're referring to, to, to Jason from the Friday the 13th films. You know, his alibis were terrible. But um, oh no, we were showing <laughs> what would have been around at that time. Oh, yeah, we're showing Braveheart, yes. Yeah, uh. yeah. Braveheart. And um, 
Dead Man Walking. Yeah, Dead Man Walking, <laughs> which is uh, how I feel now in strange ways. Well, this picture of him, his mugshot, he looks like he talks like that. You know, he's uh, probably the uh, secretary of the local neighbourhood watch team. Well, he has got, yeah, he does, doesn't he? Look, but he he's looks... a scouser, isn't he? He's from Liverpool or something. Yeah, yeah originally. Yeah. But he, he talks about it. He's, he's like, he, when he was talking on Welsh TV about cinema, he goes, he goes, well, the thing is, I just thought, oh, I just show business is the way for me. And I just have to have a cinema. He could tell he was quite camp in ah, his voice. Yeah. And I think everyone knew he was a little bit on the camp side. Yeah. Well, of course, he hid it. He yeah. didn't. Um, Known as the man in black as well. The man in black. Well, that, that was he just dressed in black. Like, yeah, uh, but that was coined by the uh, prosecuting uh, lawyer in the court case be- mm. because he did. He always dressed in black, had this rather eccentric look. And his first victim had all this uh, Nazi memorabilia who he, he kind of hooked up with this guy and got to know a little bit. And when he went deliberately back to his house to kill him, I think it was absolute intent to go back and kill him. This was this, the, his first victim on Anglesey. Uh, he went there knowing that he was going to kill him and then, and then help himself to some Nazi memorabilia from his house. Because oh, right. he liked, he loved it, all the sort of Nazi. Uh, so he was, not only was he a sadomasochist, he was a fucking Nazi sympathising fascist too. God, they're the worst, aren't they? Yeah. <coughs> that Utter combination. But, sh- but shippers found him very pleasant in prison. Oh, hello there. Have you read the book? There's a book out which is called The Man in Black by Dylan Reese jones And it has got a very sinister picture of Peter Moore on the front. He's looking a bit like a cross between uh, Terry Thomas and Vincent Price. <laughs> but it's got a terrible title Dave it's well it's called Man in Black Peter Moore Wales worst serial killer yeah (laughs) this is what this documentary was called Wales's worst serial killer it's like come on what kind of is there any other competition in Wales I don't really know of the only competition is the spree killing that took place in Wales in the 1940s, which is a very fascinating case. Oh, I don't know about place. that. Yeah, yeah, it's a fascinating thing. Let me see if I can find it now, Lee. It is fascinating because it doesn't really get talked about much now, but this guy just kept, was in this hotel and just killed like, like four or five people in the hotel. What, with the shotgun? Yeah, and it was in the 40s, it was post-Second World War. Right. What was his motivation? Was he losing his hair like Derek Bird? <laughs> yeah, it might be. Derek Bird, see again. We've done him. Right, the Conway Hotel that was the... Imp- oh, no, not the Daily Post. It's full of fucking shitty adverts. <laughs> there we are. This is it. The now derelict Red Gables Hotel in Penman Mower, which was the scene of North Wales' worst ever... Mass murder has now been sold at auction. Wow. Why did I think it was the 1940s? On the 25th of July, 1976, the hotel's former gardener, Neil Rutherford, shot and killed four people in the building before setting it alight and then turning the gun on himself. Wow. (laughs) Hey. By Wales standards, mate, that is Columbine. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, I thought it was the nineteen forties for some reason. Do you know anybody around your way that knew him, Peter Moore? Oh yeah. yeah. Well, I kind of wanted to do a, like a mini episode really on Peter Moore mm. because I did say to my friend Russ locally, I said, if Lee and I can join our podcast would you be interviewed so we can talk about and, and we could still do it which we could just focus on the interview couldn't we because mm-hmm. russ said he would do it if we could if we can and he would tell us the story behind the idea of him and his brothers on a saturday morning going to the cinema where uncle peter oh. would look after them all morning 
because it would have like a Saturday morning or Saturday afternoon matinee and the pictures and everyone thought oh it's it's Peter he'll look after the kids we'll leave the kids at the cinema we'll do the shopping and get everything sorted out the kids have a nice time and they used to literally say we'll drop you off with Uncle Peter at the pictures little bit known that this guy was Wales worst killer he'd not killed at that time I imagine probably not it was post his mum dying it's really interesting because he killed four people in a very short period of time, Peter Moore. He, he attacked lots of others, though, didn't he? Now, this is the interesting thing. Oh, yeah, no. uh, the killings didn't take place until after his mum had died. Yeah. But the actual assaults were unbelievable. And they reckon he might have assaulted and brutalised like 20, 30, 40 people for years because, mm. because homosexuality was so kind of frowned upon in Wales, you know? Yeah. It really, you know, and it wasn't taken that seriously. It was very underground. People might have been battered to shit if they were cottaging, for example. And that's, I think, what he loved to do. He loved, he really got his rocks off on finding someone who wanted a bit of, like, a bit of sex, a bit of a blowjob or, you know, a bit of action up the bum. <laughs> and he beat the shit out of them. But he took it to that other level where he actually thought, no, no, I'm just, this really is what I want to do, what I am. I want to take the life from out of your body, you know. Yeah. Absolutely brutal, brutal well, bastard. Apparently, according to this book, Dave, that this Friday the 13th, there is a, a lot of connections to it. The way he killed people was similar to how some of the deaths occurred in the in the films. Uh, he didn't use a machete, did he? Is it just a... No, I think the worrying thing here is, is that some of the, some of the stories have been... Um, um exaggerated mm. so some of the hair say so the second person he killed was a uh, was a fellow in liverpool who he brought back to north wales right and he took him to a place i don't even know if I, it, I think it might even be a place that i've taken you to because it's a really nice place to go to called bod patrol in clackinog forest and um that put a shiver up my spine when i saw on the documentary they showed a sign of a Bod Portrayal, which is a place that we've been to many, many times as a family. It's a mm. lovely place. But it made sense that if he took this guy from Liverpool there, right, and then what he did is he dragged him, uh, he, he killed him in the car park area, and he's straight into Woodland, you see, from there. And that's what he did. But the thing was, the rumour was that he... he decapitated this lad and kicked his head about like a football. And this became like this big story, which is something you would get in something like a Friday the 13th. as like a yeah exaggerated. He must but, have been quite a big bloke then. Yeah, he was he big. He seems like, to have, you know, he has a lot of confidence in, in his own ability to overpower these, these blokes. Yeah, I, th- I think he really gained more and more confidence. Yeah, but funny that this one, he literally drove this lad back from Liverpool to the outskirts of Rithin into Clackinog Forest, which is, you know, that's significant drive. You're talking, that's going to take you an hour and 20 minutes, an hour and 20 minute drive at the very least, let's say. Probably more than that, to be fair. By the time you get to Clackinog, you're in the middle of nowhere. It takes a while to get into that area. Yeah. And, uh, the, the the feeling was that this get this the, the the young man that he ended up killing was became awake and was aware and tried to get out of the car and all that. So he had the confidence in a way of the physical presence not to let him out of the car and keep him with him until he ended up killing. It's horrible. It's really horrible and brutal. Mm. So he must have yeah he did he had a kind of physical presence. But the point I'm making is 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 that there was this real exaggeration about what took place with this lad. So it made it into much more of a dramatic killing, if you like. I know any killing is dramatic. That that he stabbed him, that he cut his head off, kicked kicked his head around like a football and all that. But the reality was that, yes, the head was uh, decapitated from the body, but they believed because of the time, because of the time it took to discover the body, 
because this was the last victim to be found. Animals in the area had eaten away at the skull, yeah. moved the skull. We reckon foxes and what have you had moved the skull from the rest of the body. So what was found was a decapitated body. Very grim, I know. So whether that deflects a little bit from the whole um, copycat Jason killing thing, I don't know. But Yeah, it's a good point, Dave. It's a good point. Um... You know, it's, it's difficult, isn't it? But he did try to use this the Jason thing as a deflection in his case. And they cottoned onto that quite quickly because they realised he was showing the Friday the 13th films a lot in his yeah. cinemas. Another one, Dave, if we can move on, uh, that sprung to mind when we talked of boring serial killers was uh, John Christie. Oh, my God. And again, it's like more, isn't it? When it came to like the person who served you in the shop, he was really boring. He was mm-hmm. really dull. Their alter ego became this thing that they weren't to the, the majority of the public. Yeah. And Christy, oh my God. I mean, Christy, I have to say, you know, I'm biased by Christy from what I think is one of the most brilliant performances ever of a serial killer. That's that is Richard Attenborough's performance as John Christie yeah in Tenrillington place it's one of yeah. the most brilliant See, that's where I'm getting most ever. of my opinion of from really we only really know Christie through through that don't we and uh was didn't, didn't Tim Roth play him Tim Roth played him as well uh, I, I didn't not see really, that I didn't watch that because I've always thought that the Attenborough performance was so brilliant mm-hmm. I never bothered watching the Tim Roth yeah watching, you know and I think Richard Attenborough was one of Britain's great actors, really. His performance in that is so sinister. It's such a sinister performance. Grubby, sweaty, gr- oh, clammy. He's horrible. Yeah. He's horrible. Oh, God. And he is such a such a twee, sort of insipid little nothing of a man, really. And desperately tries to ingratiate himself with people around him. To be helpful, uh, I don't know what to say really. All of that. I mean, uh, it, you, you are influenced by the media, and that's I've been heavily influenced by that. He had problems performing, didn't he? Yeah. He was ridiculed for his impotence and yeah. uh, his inability to have sex. I don't know how people found this out really, but um, suppose the women <laughs> spread it about. Um, he was branded Reggie No Dick and can't do it, Christie. That's through his adolescence. Oh, God. And his sexual difficulties were lifelong. Most of the time, he could only perform with prostitutes. Now, there are some similarities with Peter Sutcliffe here, you know. Born in Yorkshire, one of a very big family. Uh, I think Peter Sutcliffe was the last born, wasn't he? Sutcliffe, um, John Christie was the sixth of the family of seven children, so he was near the end. And he had a bad relationship with his father, like Sutcliffe did, you know. But he was very, very attached and mollycoddled by his mother, mm. which is again another similarity. And another thing there, where you can you can correspond that with Peter Moore. Peter mm. Moore's had a terrible relationship with his father, but was besotted and doted on by his mum. It says here that one of the things that might have caused him to begin killing was when he was. He was young. He saw his grandfather's body laid out on a trestle table when he was dead. And he remembers feeling powerful because, you know, a man he once feared was now only a corpse. Wow. Yeah. That, that in a way, sort of corresponds a little bit with Nielsen. Because Dennis yeah. Nielsen had that kind of obsession of seeing his, his grandfather dead, didn't he? Yeah. And he became kind of obsessed with that. Yeah. Oh, interesting. These links, you know, isn't it? Yeah. Very interesting. Well, one of the most disturbing things that I found out about Nielsen was that he used to dress up in corpse paint, didn't he? Yes. And he would position a mirror. Yeah. So he could watch him. He could look at himself whilst he was having a wank. Yeah. So he was yeah. Essentially wanking over his dead body. Yeah. Yeah, he was obsessed with the idea of dead bodies, wasn't he? Yeah, right. And he really got off on the idea of the dead. And yeah. I wonder whether a lot of this is is about that. He's only mm. been able to get off on the idea of dead people. It's a kind but, of necrophilia. 
you can see where Christie's coming from when he says that, you know, he's probably his grandfather, who he says he feared, he's suddenly dead and he's useless and he's, he's uh, no threat whatsoever. I mean, that, mm. that would give somebody like a quite a profound feeling, I imagine. Oh, God, yeah. I think it's weird. You know, you shouldn't show kids bloody dead bodies, really, should you? No, not Weights and so. things. No, no. Yeah, but he was also, a, another thing, Dave, he was also a projectionist. Yes. A- again. Yeah. Oh, my God. Peter Moore. Wow. The connections, Lee. The other thing that made me think of Sutcliffe was he had, Christy had this problem where he had this inability to talk loudly. So he's very softly spoken. A bit like Peter. <laughs> you know, maybe not as high pitched, but you know. That's interesting, isn't it? I can't get my cock up. I can't. <laughs> Even when I've got my V-neck jumper on inside out over my thighs. <laughs> well, yeah, that's... Uh, Christy could only perform with prostitutes. <laughs> this is the thing. God. Oh, my God. So yeah. fucked up. There's some seriously fucked up shit going yeah. on. Didn't didn't Christy make some sort of contraption that allowed him to gas his victims? Yes. Killed them. Yeah, he did. Yeah, I remember that from Which the Which is film. shown quite graphically in the Attenborough film, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, God. A horror. A real horror. And of course, Timothy Evans went down. Yeah. It was Christy that done it. <laughs> I oh. just think. So memorable in the in the uh, the, the John Hurt character. Yeah. In Wasn't yeah. me. It was Christy that done oh, it. Oh, it's it's so, so awful, tragic. That. Right. Have you any others, Dave? Any others spring to mind? We're not done any. Have we done any American ones? Uh, yet? You've you've brought that in beautifully there, Lee. Because the one that really springs to mind is um, in America is uh, what is broadly known as the. A BTK fellow. <laughs> I knew you were going to say De- that. Hey. Dennis Rader. Yeah. Uh, the dullest man. Everyone everyone who's into serial killers sort of hates him. I just want to slap him. Yeah, he's just he's a horrible. He's a fucking shit. They all are, really. It's weird, isn't it, that you yeah. can sort of like some serial killers more than others. But there's just something about him. He, I think it's his thirst for notoriety and fame. You know, he, th- he seems to think he's dead interesting. But everyone knows he's not. He's just a fucking dick. He's the boringest fucker ever. Yeah. And he, oh, and he was a loathsome bastard. Also, I mean, all, obviously, also. all serial killers are yeah. loathsome bastards and what they do. Despicable and selfish. And but the, there was it, something, there was something <laughs> prideful about him when he was stood up in court and he was, he was describing what he did to those kids, taking pride in it. Yeah, he wanted people to know. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Absolutely. He was the guy that named himself BTK, wasn't he? Yeah, it's bullshit, isn't it? After yeah. after several other names, he was he was trying to come up with like the best name, wasn't it, for ages? Wasn't it <laughs> Phantom, the Phantom, or the, the Black Phantom, something like that? Trying to create this mythology about himself. Fucking dickhead. But he's always trying to get press now. He's worried that people have just forgot about him. But no one's really interested in him because he is a boring bastard. <laughs> a boring gun. They don't don't care about him. But it's it's quite interesting the way he got caught though, wasn't it? He did manage to elude capture for quite a long time. Oh was yeah, twenty years. <laughs> I think so, and he he sort of like. The thing with him is, he presented himself as the most humble kind of family man. Mm, involved uh, in the church, I think. Oh, it's incredible, really. I mean, kids must be so fucked up, really, over it yeah. all. Because he, 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 he presented himself as the most straight, wholesome. wholesome American family guy. He's a perfect example of living an alternative lifestyle, to be honest with you. <laughs> Live an alternative lifestyle, you know, because the reality is, you know, the suburbs are full of freaks. Yeah. Yeah, here's a quote from him. How many do I have to kill before I get a name in the paper or some national attention? 
Yeah, yeah, that's it. He just wanted he he wanted to be a, 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 a notorious killer. Here we go, Dave. I've got a list of his uh, his aliases or the, the sort of uh, self named ones. So he's got BTK, the BTK Strangler, the BTK Killer, the Wichita Strangler, the Poetic Strangler, the as, the Asphyxiator, the Asphyxiator. That's yeah. like a a wrestler. Like a, that's gonna say it's like a WWF wrestler. <laughs> Here it is, the Garot Phantom. Again? <laughs> no wonder he dropped that one. Uh, the Bondage Strangler <laughs> and the Wichita Hangman. They are just rubbish. They are rubbish. <laughs> Amateur. What an absolute dung beetle. Wasn't, ab- didn't, didn't he try uh, to attack some woman and she just laughed at him? Because he, yeah. he was just so inept yeah. <laughs> and unscary. Yeah, another American one who I find quite dull is uh, Gary Ridgway. Yeah, again, and he might be the most killer. The, the thing with Ridgway is he might be the most notorious American killer of all time. What he was, he, he did hold the record until fairly recently when they solved. Was it the? It was somebody who, who had about ninety. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think he was up to forty odd, forty eight. Again, with Ridgeway, part of the issue there was, and we've spoken about this before in a big way when we were talking about Peter Sutcliffe, was police are less interested when it comes to, like, prostitutes. Mm. You know, don't treat them like fucking human beings. No. Just treat them as, like, nothing. And, and the same kind of happened, in a way, at first with more, because certainly his non-killings, because it's just like, oh, yeah, some gays have been battered in a toilet. Who cares? You know? Yeah, yeah. So they never they never picked up on his. Well, it was the, the same assault, with the uh, the assaults he was taking place. The Stephen Port killings. They just thought it was absolutely young men that had taken too much drugs or whatever it it was that they they died of. Uh, the police error in the Stephen. I mean, certainly from watching. I'm, I'm only going off watching the dramatization, of course, but the police errors in that were. Um, mm. Poorly, and the way they treated the parents of the victims was just awful. Mm. No kind of humanity, no kind of understanding about the pain that they were going through, because they just thought, oh, they're just a bunch of young gay guys get, uh, having sex and uh, and taking too many poppers and fucking drugs on top of it, gotten off yeah. the tits, and. Oh my God! When you look back on it, the fact that three out of the four bodies were sat was were found, two in the virtually exactly the same place, another one in the same in, and Port was pulled up for the first for the first killing, not from the killing point of view, but from the point of view that he had he had been involved with this guy and panicked and left him outside his house. Right. So the police knew about Port, but there was yeah. such a disconnect of communication yeah. between the investigations of the other victims that were only literally miles, you know, just miles apart to the first victim that it's such a breakdown in communication. of, You know, especially this was a time, this wasn't a time like of the Yorkshire Ripper. This is a time where people had cell phones. We've got computers. We can link crimes and situations. And you watch that and you think, it's so obvious. It's yeah. so obvious that something strange is going on. The fact it doesn't speak much about it beyond the actual document, uh, the uh, dramatization. But the same woman, it seems, found two of the bodies in the same graveyard of the cathedral in the same place. The same person. Bloody hell. Right? She found these these bodies of these two young dead men propped up. It happens so often, doesn't it? If the victim is not somebody who's considered important, the police are just not interested. And going back to Nielsen, he he sort of picked up drifters, didn't he, that didn't uh Yeah. That weren't missed. And he actually I remember reading that uh interview with his former boss that he remembers something that Nielsen said one about 
it'd be really easy to pick up some rootless young man in a bar and knock him off. Who would notice? Who would care? It's amazing how how often that happens. The, the thing is, if the if you're dull and uh, psychotic, you know, yeah. and let's be honest, everyone we're talking about is the dullest fucking individuals you'll ever meet, you know. <laughs> but the easiest way, if you've got a bit of a brain in your head and you're this kind of dull individual, is to pick on people in minorities and pick mm. on the vulnerable and the poor in society. And everything that we've spoken about tonight seems to is pointing in that direction. It's pointing in people who are more vulnerable in society or on the fringes of society, like, say, young a young gay man, for example, you know, looking in the two cases of uh, poor and uh, more in particular, or the, the young, desperate young couples who found themselves... Uh, you know, um, in need of an abortion in the case of like the Christie case, Mm -hmm. it's so easy for these slimy little turds to, uh, or in the case, again, the elderly and infirm in the case of fucking Shipman to take advantage, to take total advantage of the situation. And it's so easy for the police to bypass that. And these people are left vulnerable because the last thing they want to do is go to the police because, I mean, it's not even that long ago since, like, you know, gay behaviour was deemed legal for a start. Most gay men, even to this day, they're not really that trusting in the police force to give them justice over things. Absolutely not. And in Manchester, there's there's been this um, thing, the canal killer, hasn't there? Oh, the pusher! A lot of of, uh, gay men being found dead in the canal, which is near mm. the gay village in Manchester. Mm. You know, a lot of the deaths have been put down to, you know, accidental death, you know, mm. someone's been a bit drunk or off the red and they fell in and uh, drowned, you know, simple as that. But there's there's been this other story running alongside it that there's actually somebody out there pushing them in. Mm. But I don't, think there's, I don't think there is any evidence. Well, there's a growing sort of folklore, isn't there? Yeah. Of the yeah. Manchester pusher. Yeah. That's what it's called now. You know, pushing people into the Manchester ship canal. Because there has been a, a very a good many people who've died. Quite a lot, yeah. Yeah, it's quite it's quite freakish, really. Bloody hell. You know how many have actually died? Loads. Since 2007, it says, authorities have tragically pulled 77 dead bodies out Fucking of Manchester insane. Canal and Waterway. I'm looking at a newspaper headline here. I survived. Yeah, that's the one I'm seeing. Psychopath. So it's saying that many of the bodies have been dragged out of the canals were young men, and of the 77, only 12 have been deemed to have been caused by mysterious circumstances, as the majority of victims are listed no signs of being in a struggle. Well, you wouldn't necessarily get into a struggle if you just pushed in. You know, you just pushed in, and then the icy water takes you. Yeah. I can't imagine it's a very satisfying way to just kill someone. If you're a no, but if you're like a <laughs> cold, a sure. Yeah, but if you are just like a cold-blooded, nasty piece of work, uh, and you get your rocks off on the idea of it, it, it's an easy way to kill someone, really, because you just shove them into the canal, mm. and then you get your rocks off and hearing them, watching them. Yeah, watching them, screaming and shouting, and then finally uh, glugging and. Uh, choking on the water oh horrible mm-hmm. but that might be something that gets somebody's rocks they might even stand at the edge of the fucking canal and have a wank you just don't know do you yeah but i wouldn't have imagined it's that uh secluded or isolated the canal because a lot of people do walk along it central areas you would think yeah yeah it's tr- actually a lot of them have been found much uh, you know, quite far away from the actual village, having just followed the canal. Mm. You, you just get the vibe, don't you, with all of these fucking people? It's like, get a hobby. You know, whatever. Yeah. You know, like, I were saying with incels. It's like, <laughs> like you were saying before about taking up bowls. Take up bowls. Have yeah. a game of snooker. It's great. <laughs> lovely. It's a lovely <laughs> thing to do with your spare time. Play darts. Join an operatic society. Start a podcast. Start a... Well said, Lee. 
Start yeah. a podcast. Any bugger can do it these days. It's very rewarding and it's yeah. very enjoyable. Kids, anyone listening out there, if you're dull, and let's be honest, a lot of us are, okay, and you think, I need notoriety in my life, I need and to do fame. something different, I'm a bit weird, you know, iron out the weirdness, you know, just have a wank, go in the toilet, have a wank, right, and then do something constructive, take up Lego, I don't know, <laughs> do something. Yeah, no when you're having a wank, though, don't have a wank over your granddad's dead body. No, that, exactly. <laughs> that could be very damaging. Yeah, exactly. Don't put talcum powder all over yourself. Look at yourself in the mirror as if you're a corpse, dreaming of your dead granddad. Don't, don't do that. <laughs> oh, God. OK, Dave, we'll uh, wrap it up there. Uh, I hope uh, listeners have not thought we're a couple of boring bastards. But, and, uh, and if they do think we're a couple of boring bastards, I hope you're not thinking that we're a pair of fucking serial killers uh, with our alter egos. It's okay to think of us as boring, but just not, not murderers. Not, not uh, murdering necrophiliacs. If you like our podcast, then please rate us. Uh, please rate us. And listen to our back episodes. Yeah. And uh, we'll be back soon. Thanks yes. for joining us. Thank you. Good night. Well, he popped off all the blue rinse tops With morphine from the chemist shops In parts of Salford where I used to stay Well, I'm sure he once worked down our street Cause seven old days dropped dead in a week And three of them were all on the same day And he popped But first he made them change their will And now he takes his bag and he waits Behind them strange way gates With his patience then he's only time to kill Well the relatives all fought in sus their inheritance in his bank book But Shipman didn't care much anyway Cos the police thought he was innocent And all those debts coincident And Shipman hoped that's just the way they'd stay And he popped off little old women when they weren't even ill and he murdered Grammys, but first he made them change their will. And now he takes his bag and he waits behind them strange way gates. With his patience, then it's only time to kill. Well, his alibis were wearing thin. Detectives started calling him To come on down and tell us what you've done Tell us all about your murdering days Tell us just how many and in what ways Is it true as killers go You're number one And he popped off little old women When they weren't even ill